What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Folks, Alabama's 52-3 dismantling of Arkansas. You know, it really is a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal for all the obvious reasons. Uh, anytime you have a conference win by 49 points, it's also a big deal for a lot of, you know, call it less obvious reasons, a lot of sort of unconventional reasons connected to just the 2020 season and the oddity of uh, the Rona season. You know, if we think about the Arkansas game, this game has had three dates, uh, three dates that have been circled and allocated for this game. There's the original 2020 schedule, the original 10 SEC conference game schedule, and then the reschedule to accommodate the miss with uh, with LSU. And so there's a lot that has gone into that's sort of almost a microcosm representing all of the challenges and difficulties that have gone into the season as a whole, uh, certainly the execution uh, of this game as well. I think as SEC fans, maybe not Florida fans, but SEC fans, I think there's a, a degree of pride in seeing the season play through its full schedule. There are a couple of exceptions, but as the rule, you know, the two champions played 10 games or the two uh, East and West champions played 10 games. A lot of conferences are literally making up the rules as they go. Uh, They've gone through a long, elongated sort of gyrations to invent a structure and rules, and they are just sweeping them out sort of on the fly. And so I appreciate sort of the, the tenacity or veracity of the SEC to stick with the, the schedule that they put out, or at least the intentionality of the schedule as they put out. And I think, again, uh, a testament to the vision of the conference, as well as this Alabama team, to march through this season. Even though we predicted it, it's still, it's still a whole nother thing to see it. Alabama marched through this season with relative ease. And we did predict that, maybe a little preseason full of ourselves, but to see uh, on the other end, uh, that actually play out. I think that's great. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. And we shall have a, a great deal of uh, of pride in this team. There was an article Saturday down south I read earlier this Sunday morning. And I, I forget even the, the full article, but the headline caught my eye. And I wish I thought of it first, but they said the past is prologue. Uh, I had been thinking this morning, what do I want to say on the show? 
And uh, because I do think there, this, there's an occasion to this that's different than just a regular uh, sort of a regular week to week. Uh, we're now transitioning. There's an inflection point from the regular season to the playoffs. I know in the SEC, we call the championship week part of the regular schedule. I respect that, but it's a championship uh, different from the regular season. And so when we think of past as prologue, uh, we think of flipping the switch from regular season to sort of more of a playoff uh, mode. That's where the that's where the team sits right now. That's where the conference sits right now. In some respects, that's where college football sits right now. And so we want to look forward because that's where the big prizes are. Uh, but let's definitely take uh, take a moment and break down the the Arkansas game. You know, much like much like we do. Uh, I think this game, in in sort of a weird way. Uh, I think this game, and we've seen this the last couple of weeks, where the team will show something, the opponent will show something, and Alabama will have to respond and react, and they always do that in a favorable ma- uh, manner. And so every time Alabama has had to respond or react to uh, circumstances, it largely has demonstrated the dominance of the team. It has demonstrated that, hey, that's a gear, that's an angle, that's a wrinkle, wrinkle that the team has that – we probably assumed that it did, but we didn't know until we saw it. And so when I think about, uh, and I was thinking about it during the game, uh, Arkansas came at us with a completely different sort of defensive attack. The offensive, uh, you look at the numbers, you look at the performance, they were completely different. And uh, sort of the vision, I guess I'm a child of uh, the 80s and 90s, but uh, it, it made me think of one of the early uh, Predator movies. And there was a scene in the movie, I think it was the Danny Glover movie, uh, version. I think it was sort of the the worst of the the franchise. But there was a scene in that movie where they're hunting the predator, and they get some crazy idea about they're going to do. I think they use fire extinguishers or something, but they're going to use some sort of gas that is going to blind because uh, the predators track based on body heat and stuff like that. And so they're going to use this gas, and it's going to blind the predator, and they're going to be able to. Uh, to attack them. And so that's Arkansas. That's what they did. They said, oh, Alabama, they, they attacked this way. So we're going we're, we're going to, we're going to defend them in that way. We're going to take that away. And then that's going to create, call it, a, call it a, a level, level playing field. And the predator, and this is sort of a s- sinister scene, you know, kind of in the movie because they, oh, we've got them. This is our plan. And then the predator just looks and, uh, and then adjusts something on his and, uh, armband. And then that completely changes the focus that uh, sort of the line of sight or the vision protocol that the predator is using. And I remember thinking, <laughs> however I was at the time, like, damn it, this thing is even tougher than we thought it was. And uh, and damn it, this Alabama team is probably tougher than we thought it was. Uh, the patience that the team uh, executed or demonstrated in the execution of the of the plan Saturday was, uh, was phenomenal. Here's some thoughts, right? And so I, you know, I watched this on TV. Certainly, uh, Saban has cooler words for it. Uh, Saban said, "Oh, they played thirty-three crowd and a cloud, and we were prepared for that." And I was like, "Well, I don't have the the cool sort of vernacular, but uh, they played three deep safeties. That's what I saw—a three deep uh, safety shell. Uh, there were a couple times they were playing quarters coverage uh, in the back end, and so it was all about keeping the play in front of them." Sometimes they put eight defenders back in coverage because they wanted to keep the, the the play in front. And so rather than getting beat, we've seen teams earlier in the season, they say they're going to stack up. Uh, they'll give up the long play because they're going to stack up and stop the run. And and then Alabama has thrown a lot of long passes. Uh, Arkansas sort of flipped that, and they did the opposite of that. We're going to put a hard shell 
uh, on the top end. And so you're not going to penetrate with the long passes and we're going to make you, make you beat us methodically down the field. Probably that's a really good strategy. Probably what that does is it creates a situation where uh, there's more opportunity for the offense to make mistakes. Drives are a little longer. It slows down the game. And then as the, as the offense drives down the field, the amount of field to be defended gets smaller and it becomes harder to, to move the ball as opposed to just throwing 60, 70, 80 yard, you know, passes uh, down the play. So on paper, that makes sense. And, uh, but you know, what's the saying? They don't play the game on paper. And so uh, think of these statistics when you think about almost a reinvention and it, it's not rocket science, right? But when we think about Arkansas attacking uh, or defensively uh, setting up uh, a defensive Alabama, that's almost the exact opposite of what most other teams have done. Take that in mind when you think of the uh, the metrics that this uh, this Alabama team uh, put up on this game. So short passing game uh, had some success running, but mostly uh, they uh, Arkansas did a good job of even of stifling the run, and so uh, it became a short passing game. And so you know Mac was efficient as ever. He was twenty four of twenty nine. Uh, but only 208 yards as opposed to 308 yards or 408 yards, uh, which we've seen before. But it was the short passing game. And we saw almost a rotation of weaponry. Uh, when we think about the Predator who sort of reset, recast his vision or reset his vision based on the circumstance, well, Alabama just flips the Rolodex and uh, distributes the ball to a different set of personnel. And so Miller Forrestal had six catches. That's a high uh, for his career. Only 52 yards. But six catches for 52 yards, that's a lot of completions. That's a lot of dings, a lot of dunks, a lot of moving the ball down the field. Uh, Brian Robinson certainly had three rushing touchdowns uh, on the day, but he had four catches for 22 yards. And so, again, he was incorporated into the passing game. Slade, uh, he had four catches for 43, and that's probably not off what he was doing before. But, again, his his sort of attack – has always been in the short passing game. So to see him sort of have have a standard uh, stat line, if you will, is representative of that that mode of attack. And then Smitty, you know, he wasn't completely shut out of the passing game, He but he did only have three catches, and he did only have 22 yards. And think about this, and again, rotating the weapons but still managing to be effective. Smitty was the, the fifth, if you rank in rank order, uh, by number of catches, number of receptions, Smitty was our fifth leading receiver. If you rank in terms of yardage, Smitty's 22 yardage, uh, 22 yards is tied for fourth uh, with Brian Robinson, who also had 22 yards. So it was interesting to see the rotation of uh, some of the some of the personnel having stronger roles or, or more uh, active roles than they might normally would. But also keep in mind that this did not equal a lack of production. It's just a different flavor of production. Alabama had 24 first downs. Alabama had 443 uh, total yards. Alabama was four uh, was 10 of 14 on third down conversions. Alabama led the the time of possession, which is typically something on average uh, doesn't happen. Oh, and by the way, Alabama scored 52 points. And all of those were offensive points. We can talk about turnover. There were a couple of short fields that were provided. The running game, while neither Najee or Brian Robinson had tremendous days yardage-wise running the ball, Najee had 46, 
Brian Robinson had 54. Together, they accounted for five touchdowns. And so they were getting these short yardage runs. Najee two, uh, had two, and uh, Brian Robinson had three. Later in the game, Jason McClellan had an 80-yard run for a touchdown, which completely sort of skews all of the uh, the running stats because you have a one run for 80 yards. But if uh, but if you discount that and sort of the the meat of the of the ball game, it was very short runs. Uh, it was the defense really keeping everything uh, in front of them. But Alabama still managed uh, turnovers helped. Uh, still managed to uh, have quite a dominant day uh, offensively. Talk about another freshman receivers. Javon Baker had two catches. Uh, these were his first catches of the of the season. One went for no yards. Uh, he had another for, for 15, uh, which, again, distance-wise, yardage-wise, was one of the leading plays uh, of the day. I, I think there were only – looking through my notes, I think there were only two passing plays that – in fact, I believe there were only two plays on the day – that went for more than 17 yards. Uh, and one of those was the 80 yard run. And uh, there was a 22, 23 yard catch by Mechie. And so all of the, all of the offensive production was, was short yardage. And so there's a little bit of patience. There's a little bit of stick to but still Alabama had five consecutive touchdowns through the, the first, second and into the third quarter, which was nice to see them score coming out of half. Uh, that's a metric that uh, we've been watching. Uh, five consecutive possessions in which touchdowns uh, were scored. This also, and again, you think about an Arkansas defense having some success, but here's where they didn't have success. All of these numbers, all of this production, Alabama had uh, a 35-point margin at half. It was 38-3, to 35-point margin, which is the largest of the season. Uh, this comes off la- uh, last week, the LSU game, where Alabama had 45 points at half, which was the highest total. So this offense continues to tweak and evolve and get better. And whatever the challenge is that is that is set before it, Alabama doesn't just get through it, doesn't just get around it, get get by it. It dominates it. It dominates it. It just it almost destroys the opposition. And so now you think of like uh, you know, pick your poison. Alabama can beat you deep in in the passing game, and it's not just a, a slogan. It's not just a T-shirt. It is for reals. Go back and watch the tape. And definitively, uh, if you want to take away the long play, we've now seen Alabama, not, not the theory of it, but we've seen it in effect. Alabama can be dominating uh, while leading a short passing attack. I, you know, a couple of complaints. Uh, I believe there were some dirty tackles by the Arkansas. I'm not going to sort of get into that, but uh, I think that I think there were some chintzy play there, and the field was just was just crappy. Uh, I, I look at it as it wasn't like losing the grass or losing the turf from extensive play. There were just parts where it were yellowing. It was the grass was yellowing. Some of that's going to be a little temperature and a little bit of weather. It looked to me. Like I do this in my own yard. If I cut it too short, if I've let it grow a little long, and uh, and I want to cut it back, then what happens is the grass under the underneath isn't getting as much sun, and so it'll yellow. And so it looked like, and I do that probably once every two years in my yard, and I always get pissed at myself when I do it. And so when I looked at their fields, that's the first thing that I looked at, it, or that's the first thing I noticed. The yellow, the yellowing, the streaking—you could almost see the mower blade that was causing that. And when that, what happens in my yard, that's, that's what it looks like. And so I honestly just looked like they cut the grass too low and, and the, the underneath wasn't getting as much sunlight. And so it had not greened 
probably if we go back and look at the field Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, it'll be flush, it'll be green, and, and it'll look all right, you know, probably middle of next week. But uh, I thought that was a pretty crappy job. And again, I'm not an expert by any by any means, but that's certainly what I saw. So that's what you get. You get a little play by play on the on the groundskeeping as well. Uh, also, man, the announcers were just awful. Uh, they tried to call the game, uh, the, you know, the first quarter of the game wearing their masks, which is about the dumbest thing in the world. I understand wearing the masks; it's it's important. I understand that. But if you're calling a game where you need to articulate, or just on TV in general, where you need you are communicating, you need to articulate clearly. A mask does not help. It muffles you. And then, you know, at one point they spent about 15 minutes arguing about NFL quarterbacks. I'm watching an Alabama game. I don't give a rat's about uh, NFL quarterbacks. I know sort of the jumping off point to that was talking about Mac Jones. Have a two-minute talk about Mac Jones. Weave it into the play call uh, of the game. But don't take a 15-minute sort of tirade talking about uh, NFL quarterbacks. For For all the slack for all uh, sort of the ill will that uh, Gary uh, Danielson gets when he calls a game, uh, he's not perfect, but he's not nearly as bad uh, as this crew was. And so I say, give me uh, Gary Danielson every, uh, every week. Listen, let me run back through my notes. Offensive line. Can't talk enough about the offensive line. Uh, Evan Neal missed uh, the game. We think it was contract tra- uh, contact tracing because uh, Amari kite is his roommate. And we think, and they're not, you know, this is all speculative because they're not announcing in the HIPAA rules and stuff like that. So I'm not breaking news. I'm just sharing what I've heard unofficially. And uh, Amari Kite uh, tested positive uh, for the COVID. And because they're roommates, Evan, who himself may not have tested positive, but because they're roommates, they said, let's let's put a shell around this from it potentially spreading uh, further across the team. Makes a lot of sense. That's a safety protocol. We can get mad at it. We cannot like it. But if, uh, if it turns out that Evan had it, then him playing and spreading it to the rest of the team is going to be worse. And so let's accept the limited withholding Evan from, uh, from an abundance of caution rather than run a bigger risk. And I guarantee you uh, if an opponent we're, we're doing that and playing that opponent or playing that individual and it impacted our team. We can guarantee that we would be a little salty about that. So let's live with it. And, uh, and if nothing else, that gives it Evan an opportunity to get healthy and get well. And by the way, Chris Owens, I thought acquitted himself uh, very, very well. Uh, there was a, there was a point where Landon looked like he was wearing a big sort of ice pack on his, on his shoulder it looked like that was just, I looked sort of big and bandagey and it looked sort of bad, but he was sitting there, he was standing on the sideline, just laughing and cutting up. And uh, you could look at it and tell, you know, they're, wrap, they're wrapping ice on that elbow. So it's not uh, all bandaging. That's ice. At one point he had to get uh, taped up. I think it was his hand and uh, missed some plays. So Dalcourt got uh, some extended run. And so that was good to see him. I thought he, uh, I thought he did well. Those are a couple of little nuancey things across the offensive line. Uh, at least from a personnel standpoint, uh, we did see a lot of the backups rotate in uh, later. But the front offensive line, uh, I think they look good. I think they're going to be full go uh, next week against Florida. All right, if we're going to go mini game ball on offense, uh, I'm going Chris Owens for reasons that we've talked about. Our uh, The Alabama offensive line, I think, is quite dominating. You go ahead and send them the Joe Moore Award for best offensive line in the country. And when you have that type of line – uh, you can rotate a guy in, but uh, that can also sort of throw off the chemistry. And so Chris Owens uh, had a couple of days within practice 
uh, within the week, within practices to uh, start getting some reps at the right tackle position. And I thought uh, for the by and large, he acquitted himself uh, very well. And uh, there's a lot of angst. It's too early for this, folks. It's too, too early, but there's a lot of angst. What are we going to do across the offensive line next year? You know what? We're going to figure that out in spring. We're not going to figure it out in December uh, while we're still waiting uh, and, and optimistic about the, the the fortunes and futures of this season. Let's not taint uh, what is still left of this season worrying about the offensive line next October because, hell, that's a year from now. Doesn't say it's not a concern. It's just not today's concern. So there you go. Uh, Chris Owens, mini game ball. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware Glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands... I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo? Well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, now let's flip the field on defense. And... Uh, you know, I think part of the story, I was holding back. Of course, the Alabama offense was dominant. We did mention uh, some turnovers. But part of what allowed the offense to be so dominant is is the defensive play. And so as we flip the field, let's think about uh, the dominance on, on the defense. Uh, defensively, uh, Alabama held Arkansas to five of 15 third downs. In the meat of the game, in the early portion of the game, when it mattered, uh, Alabama defense held Arkansas to one of eight on third downs. That is significant. Alabama held Arkansas to 188 total yards. That's 188 yards. That is an incredible. I need to repeat that. Uh, 108 of those passing, 80, 80 yards rushing on 43 carries. Uh, Arkansas averaged 1.9 yards per carry. Now that's a dominant defense. That is a dominant defense. That's a component. That's an element that we've been looking for. There it is, folks, uh, against Arkansas. Don't underestimate the fact that it was was just Arkansas. Yeah, it's an Arkansas team that scored 48 points a week ago. This is an Arkansas uh, team that knows how to score points. They have had success scoring points this season. That's not their strong suit. They're not an offensive juggernaut, but they have a lot more struggles, uh, this Arkansas team does, than their ability to score points uh, offensively. Again, they scored 48 points uh, last week. Alabama held them to three points this Saturday, inclusive of three shutout quarters. I haven't run the numbers to see quarter uh, shutouts over the last, uh, call it the, since the halftime at Georgia. It's a big number. Alabama is shutting out a lot of opponents. Uh, I know there was a full shutout in there, I believe Mississippi State, and there was at least two teams, uh, Kentucky and Arkansas, both only scored three points. So that's three out of four quarters. And and I know there's others. I think Tennessee, uh, we shut them out for only two quarters or for two quarters, and I think the same of, of, uh, of Auburn. Point is, the defense uh, from a scoring perspective has played very, very well. A new component, a new element that this defense uh, really sort of blossomed or burst on the scene 
Saturday is the defensive line, the play of the defensive line. Say it with me, eight sacks. Now, you can lament the Arkansas offensive line, and you would be justified in doing that, but eight sacks is phenomenal. They were 10 uh, 10 tackles for a loss. Uh, Christian Barmore and Will Anderson both had uh, two sacks, and again, there were eight uh, eight sacks across uh, across the team. Uh, some half sacks, so there were some shares. So there's about seven individuals uh, that uh, got at least a partial sack uh, attributed to them. Uh, that is, to, for my money, that's pretty darn amazing. That is demonstrative of the defensive line being a weapon, which is something we've forecasted, something we've been expecting to see. I did not expect to see it so transparently uh, today. Uh, and I do recognize we might not see this type of outburst uh, from the defensive line. Some of it is opponent-based, but they know how to do it. They have a muscle memory uh, for it. And uh, I think we're going to see some stellar play from the defensive line as we continue forward. Uh, there were turnovers. There were four turnovers. Uh, what's interesting, one was an interception, which is always great. Brian Branch in the secondary pulling that down. Uh, here's what's interesting. There were three fumbles. And so uh, multiple plays with individuals reaching out, knocking the ball out, active, uh, hands active, watching the ball, watching the play, uh, reaching in, making plays. That is that is outstanding play. And that is that is the type of uh, production that we want to continue to see from the defensive line. So a tremendous hats off to the defense, to Pete Golding, to Freddie Roach all the work that they're doing uh, across the defensive front. I know I'm saying line, and there's the linebackers as well. Uh, Pete Golding uh, manages uh, the linebackers with Sal, and so uh, they're doing a phenomenal job. The front seven, uh, I think, is, is playing well, and really you could say the front six because we play a lot of uh, we play a lot of time. They're playing very, very well. Byron Young probably uh, had his best stat sheet of the day. He was in on seven tackles. He had three solos. He had half a sack. Barmore, uh, two uh, uh, two sacks. We've talked about. Uh, he was in on he was in on three tackles. Came very close to a scoop and score. Uh, DJ Dale actually recovered, but Barmore was right there. And then Tim Smith, young Timmy Smith in the middle, number fifty. Uh, if you've not focused in and watched him play, uh, watched him on some snaps. Uh, do yourself a favor. Uh, go back and watch a game when he's in there. He is is a disruptive uh, disruptive force. Uh, he had uh, he was in on three tackles, uh, had two uh, solo. He had a sack and uh, he had one and a half uh, TFLs. So he is playing very well. We mentioned Brian Branch with his interception, and this is Brian Branch did the the intercepting. He did the the catching there, right? But this is one of those you know you affect the quarterback uh, with in in a lot of different ways beyond just sacks. And this is a play if we if we. Uh, if, if we had a segment where we telestrated a play and talked it through, then then we would break it down in that way. And so as best as I can, sort of just verbally, this was a play where they uh, they ran a little sneaky, a uh, little sneaky aru. And so the quarterback, I, I can't remember, it was an end around or he threw it out wide, uh, but behind the line of scrimmage and the receiver ended up throwing the ball. And so what, so let's pause there, right? So what are they doing there? What they're doing is they're trying to slow down the rush. The quarterback uh, stands back in the pocket. He's your focal point. As a defensive lineman, you're focused on the quarterback, especially if you have a suspect, a quarterback with suspect mobility, you're going after that guy. And so one of the ways, if you have a mobile quarterback, then they can scamper, they can get around, and it makes it harder to get get after him. If you have a quarterback that's less mobile, 
one of the things you can do is is quickly get the hand the ball out of the hand of the quarterback. And so what they did is throw into the wide receiver out in the flat behind the line of scrimmage, you know, 1,001, 1,000 balls out, that slows down the rush. Now, the, the you know, if they get to the court, it doesn't matter. They're not impacting the play and they're not impacting the ball. And so the play call to throw it out to the wide receiver and let the wide receiver throw it, the play call there is a function of the rush. It's a function of the, uh, the defensive line getting to the quarterback. So that play call is in response to – we got to get our quarterback some time. We've got to do something. Uh, we need some long developing plays, getting guys downfield, and our quarterback can't hold the ball long enough because we can't block these guys, these monsters uh, up front. So the play call was an intentional attempt to to overcome or override uh, the pressure from from the defensive front. So that's sort of uh, that's sort of the first piece of it. So now you've got as a as a result of the defensive front, you've got a, a non quarterback throwing the ball, and so that can oftentimes lead to bad decisions. You can also have a wide receiver where I may never get to throw the ball again <laughs> in my collegiate career, so I'm gonna let it rip. And you can do that in the. And even when you know it's not the right decision, a quarterback, a good quarterback will say, I got to live to fight another day. I'm not just going to chuck this up. Some do. Uh, but as a rule, a quarterback should say, I'm not, I value the ball. I'm not just going to chuck it up. When you give it to a receiver, a lot of that's out the window because a lot of receivers, you're going to let me throw it. I'm going to throw it. You very rarely see a receiver in that situation take the ball down and try to figure out something else. And certainly they're not reading a progression, right? They don't have very many options at that point. And so we've called the play to get out of the quarterback to compete the rush. Now we've got it over on the, the over to the, the wide receiver and the play design. And let's also say we're getting pressure on this, this thrower of the ball too, this receiver. And then the play design is all the way back across, uh, across the field, which is a bad design. Just anyways, you don't throw back across the field. Even if you even you know even if you think you're wide open as as a wide receiver, so at any rate, a couple of bad decisions there. The ball's thrown and it's and it's intercepted by uh, Brian Branch. And so uh, I love Brian Branch. The the coverage, the sticking with the play when it looks like it's going a different way. Everything he did there was 100% exactly right. When the ball's in the air, he he, he basically boxed out the receiver and made a beautiful interception. All of that is phenomenal, but don't lose sight that it was the defensive front that caused that interception. It was the play of the defensive front that led to the butterfly effect, if you will, that led to that play call, additional pressure. Now we've got a non-quarterback throwing the ball that he's not not going to throw it because of the circumstance, and then it leads to uh, leads to an interception. So that's the whole team sort of working together uh, for for a uh, positive outcome there. Daniel Wright, I thought, played very very well. Uh, he had a couple of open field tackles, really nice discipline, sort of breaking down, making the tackle. Those are the types of tackles that he would not have made uh, earlier in the season. He is playing more of a center fielder. Uh, I don't know if I read this or heard the commentator speak to it, but uh, he he does seem more much more comfortable in his role. If we think about early in the season, and we can take that Ole Miss game, and I'm reaching a point where you can throw out the Ole Miss game because the personality of that defense is very different than the personality of of the defense that we have now. Uh, think of you know Malachi Moore was in his third start as a collegiate. 
Uh, he's played, he started 10 games now and I would, you know, you'd call him a vet. He's no longer a freshman, a true freshman, I think is in, in sort of the vernacular. We were running, uh, Alabama was running uh, DeMarco Hellams as the dime, which I like his talent. I like rotating him onto the field, but that's not his skill set. Daniel Wright was still getting his, his, uh, the the most playing time in his career. And so the responsibility that that he had, he was still, he wasn't a true freshman, but he was still growing, evolving into uh into his play. Uh and at that point he certainly had a long ways to go. And then Brian Branch, who is a staple, he is the dime back now, he was not not I don't even think he played the first uh part of the season. Uh certainly not uh maybe with the backups. Uh but Brian Branch was not a starter at the uh at the money where is where he is now. If we went back and played that that Ole Miss game again, you'd get a whole you get an entirely different outcome. It, the game wouldn't be nearly as close. So I'm at the point, I mean you can't you can't throw it out like it didn't exist. Uh but if you're assessing if you're assessing the defense uh, I think it's fair to discount that uh, that game a little bit because the unit that uh, the tide is rolling out at this point in the season is completely dif- different than it was uh, in week three. Uh, I do want to feature a player. I've been remiss the last couple of weeks for not commenting on the play of uh, uh, Christopher Allen. Uh, he had a sack Saturday. He has had four sacks on the season, most of those coming uh, in sort of the call it the second half of the season. Uh, he had uh, two four. He has had two uh, forced fumbles uh, again over the last uh, half of the season. He's a player that is in effect, maybe not literally, but in effect, he's making a play a day. Uh, and, you know, maybe not a play that's going to that's going to be the winning margin or the winning differential in, in these games with the points that Alabama's putting up. But he is making an impact play, at least one every every game. If it's a key tackle on a third down, if it's if it's a if it's a batted ball, if it's a forced fumble, if it's a sack, uh, he has been active, uh, making tremendous plays uh, in the second half of the season. And so I've not specifically called him out. He probably could have a, a whole closet full of, of mini game balls at this point, and I haven't done it. So I definitely uh, wanted to have a little feature section on uh, Christopher Allen because he is playing uh, lights out. And then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this into uh, a mini game ball. And, and let me get there. Uh, first play of the game, almost diabolically, uh, 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 Christian Harris goes down with an injury. It doesn't look like anything that's uh, that's so significant. It didn't look like, oh, obviously this is what happened uh, on that play. Uh, he's he he wraps up uh, a guy, uh, a receiver on a slant, and then just their bodies sort of spin, and it looked like sort of the full weight of them coming down came came right down on uh, Christian's shoulder. But it, even when, even watching the replay, that's where you look at it and say, that's where it must've happened. But even watching it, you don't say, you know, that's not something that doesn't happen a hundred times a game. And so, you know, hopefully as, at the point of this recording, there has been no definitive news. I think he's having an MRI uh, today on Sunday. So by the time you hear this, you'll hear, you will likely know uh, what the outcome is. Hopefully he's going to be back in time to uh, to play, uh, you know, to play against Florida. This is that this is that game, that Arkansas game where we knew that we wanted to play it. 
we wanted to have it under our belts, but we did not want anyone to get hurt in this game. And, uh, and to the to the extent that we would likely rotate the rosters in a way to to get people out, and we did. Alabama did a lot of a lot of the star players didn't play after the uh, after halftime. Uh, it just so happened first play of the game. You know, Christian Harris uh, goes down, and so we wish him well and uh, a speedy return and healthy uh, return, uh, not only for Florida but uh, beyond that. And so all of that is true and legit and real. And uh, we're going to transition into probably the biggest mini game ball that we've given in quite a while. And that's Jalen Moody stepping in at the middle linebacker uh, position. You know, we can talk about Chris Owens stepping in for Evan Neal. And he did that. And hats off. We've given him a mini game ball. Hats off for him stepping in and his play in that circumstance. But he had multiple days to practice. Uh, and get uh, get ready for that. He went to bed the night before knowing that he was going to start. His teammates knew that. So there was a, a readiness. And I'm not downgrading, but I'm differentiating. Jalen Moody probably went to bed saying, hey, in the second half, I might get some run uh, because we are going to rotate guys over. So he probably went to bed uh, in that regard. He had no zero expectation that play two of the game He's in there for the duration. He's in there for the rest of the game. The way Christian went out, clearly it was a shoulder MRI. There was a report that it looked like, you know, potentially is it bruised? Is it separated? I, there's no, we don't know. Had it been separated, I think we would know that. And I think, and I say that for two reasons. Uh, during the broadcast, they specifically said that he jogged into the uh, into the tunnel um, into the locker room, and not to not to mince words you know, or splice words too much, but if he has a separated shoulder, he's not jogging. That's just reality of it. And so it could be bruised. It could be dinged and, and he could do a light jog. That, that That's probably more true. Uh, if they had, a, if they had diagnosed it and, you know, you get in there and you get under the pad and, and you start sort of feeling around, uh, I do think, uh, I do think they would be able to diagnose, Hey, it was a separated shoulder. We put it back in. We're going to do an MRI to see the damage. Well, you're not hearing that. We're saying we don't, that what you're hearing is we don't know what it is. We're going to, going to do an MRI. So both would get an MRI. One would say it was out. We put it back in. Now we're going to look for damage. What we're hearing is we don't know what it is. We're going to do an MRI and look for what's going on. And so I think pretty clearly it's not a separated shoulder. That that All of that means is there's an increased likelihood that it's not significant and that it won't keep them out multiple weeks. But this is, this is armchair uh, MD here. So do not uh, uh, don't take that for any any more than that. Certainly, be being optimistic. But let's go back to Moody because I'm uh, because that's what I want to talk about. Uh, Forty two stepping in uh, at the middle linebacker position. One of the leading tacklers on the day. He was in on seven, had four uh, solos, uh, half a half a TFL, and uh, I thought he played phenomenal. Uh, if we think about Christian Harris, he's a little smaller than Christian Harris, so he's a little light in the pants. But he's fast and he's mobile and he can get around and he makes plays in that direction. There's probably been some speculation. Well, why didn't Shane Lee play? And uh, if, if you take Christian Harris and you go in one direction, more of a thumper linebacker, you get Shane Lee. If you take Christian Harris and you go the other way and you say a little bit smaller, but with the mobility, 
you you get Jalen Moody. And so I, I think they're both like a degree and a half separation from Christian Harris. They're just in different directions. And so when you think Alabama's base defense is a lot of nickel, uh, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go a big thumper that maybe isn't as mobile? Or you're playing a – your intention is to play a mobile uh, defense. And so you're going to go in the direction of, of Jalen Moody. So here's a guy that started the season, maybe some would speculate as the second or third, you know, maybe the third linebacker. And uh, looks like he's worked his way up. He's number two. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of rotation he, because uh, he acquitted himself very well. If there was any questions, is he up for the challenge? Well, the answer is yes. And so even if Christian Harris comes back, do we now have some newfound depth uh, at the middle linebacker uh, position? Can that afford rotation for uh, Christian Harris to get a breather or uh, uh, for Moses to get a breather? I think it does. And then does that afford Jalen uh, more of an opportunity as we get into the postseason and next season? Uh, I certainly think it does. And so I'm certainly uh, proud of the young man. He's been around uh, for a little bit. It looked like sort of uh, the sun had set on his opportunity. And then the Arkansas game uh, game came, came along. One thing I will say, and I, I fight my own urge to read too much into this, but he played late into the game. Uh, Jalen Moody did. And so there's a – my initial sort of read on that is we are trying to get him as many reps as we can. We want to give him every single rep that we can so that he is ready to see things uh, faster for future games. And so when we saw all backups in and Jalen Moody still in, part of me said, well, of course he's with the backups. This is when he would normally play, but if he's going to be a starter for future games, you think, well, you would take him out with the starters. But you might also say this guy needs as many reps, as many snaps uh, as we can absolutely get him. And so, you know, we leave him in for that reason. Very easy to start double crossing or double guessing and overthinking the the logic there. So I'll stop just short of that. But it is it is a, it was for me an interesting observation. We didn't bring in Ali Keho. We didn't bring in. We did eventually bring in Shane Lee. But we didn't, you know, but we kept uh, Jalen Moody out there. So certainly something to uh, keep an eye on. All right. Let's transition to special teams. Special tip of the cap to Will Reichert. Uh, He did nail a 45-yard field goal. Very, very nice. Uh, He was 7 of 7 on his PATs. So he was perfect on the day. And uh, if you'll lean in real closely, we're going to whisper this so no one hears us. Uh, Will Reichert is perfect on the season. Uh, which is uh, phenomenal. Uh, there was a special video put out by the university uh, talking about uh, Mac Jones being the best holder in the country. And it was a little tongue in cheek. The video is you got to go find it. But uh, he performed very well in that capacity Saturday. So uh, let's be proud of that. I'm trying to be a little tongue in cheek myself there. Uh, Charlie Scott had two punts. They were solid. Uh, it was a long of 39, but an average of 36, 37.8. So there was a tight clustering. Those are not outstanding punts. Neither of those, uh, the stat sheet that I looked at, were inside the 20. Those are not outstanding punts, but they're consistent punts and they're coverable punts. And so, again, I think we're floor setting here as opposed to ceiling popping. Might we get in a situation where we really need to push an opponent back and do something different with a punter? I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, But as a rule, uh, if we feel like we are in control of the game, then uh, we are comfortable with the shorter punts that we feel a high degree of confidence and comfort in uh, in, in covering. So 
I'm not speculating that we're going to do something there, but if you see someone that's not Charlie Scott go in, then sort of assess, hey, what is the circumstance here in this game? And if you find yourself like, hey, we need something, uh, an opponent really is running over us and we need to push them back to give our, our defense more of a chance, then uh, I would speculate, you know, watch for something there. Not Again, not predicting, but these are the things you watch for. Smitty. I think he heard last week's podcast uh, where I said the uh, the path to Smitty winning the Heisman went right went straight through him returning punts for a touchdown. Now, I was thinking in against Florida and against the bigger opponent in sort of a championship uh, stage, uh, but uh, uh, Smitty was not uh, patient with that idea. He ran uh, literally with it against Arkansas, which was phenomenal because he ended up with a special teams touchdown on a day where otherwise his offensive production was less than because we talked about their Arkansas defense. So uh, hats off uh, to Smitty for that play. Tell me, you know, how exactly easy, how easy did he make that? Some of that's going to be Arkansas's uh, punt coverage without a question. But when Smitty, you know, stuck his foot in the ground and cut up field, for Mamani, there was a burst that he showed Saturday that he, that he did not have uh, in, in prior seasons. And that's not to say he's not a fast wide receiver. Uh, they're all faster than I am. But uh, the the strength and conditioning, they have showed graphs and they've sort of masked the players. But if you kind of, you know, sort of understand what they're what they're trying to communicate, you know, they ran uh, the the numbers, the 40 yard uh, sprints and who gets to speed faster versus who has uh, the higher end. And Smitty had a high end that was as fast as anyone. He just got there not as fast. And uh, that was something that they specifically worked on uh, with the strength and, and conditioning program. And so when he when he turned up field and sort of hit, you know, hit sort of the open turf, he got up to speed faster than I've ever seen him, you know, get up to speed, if you will. And so there was a gear that he hit uh, that he accelerated through very, very quickly. So that was fun to see. Brian Robinson had a, uh, a one kick return for 10 yards and uh, which by definition is bringing the ball out to the 10 and uh, or, or thereabouts. And so we know what I think about that. All right. Next up. So next up, passes prologue. Uh, again, I, I'm sort of hung on that uh, that line of thinking because I 100% agree. Next up is the SEC championship game. I would say for the Florida Gators, who uh, Alabama will face in Atlanta next week. Florida is coming off, I would say, a very embarrassing loss to LSU. Not just the loss to LSU, which is embarrassing by itself, but how they lost the emphasis, the exclamation mark, it would have been less ugly if they had taken the game into overtime and uh, something happened, somebody tripped and fell or something. But with what they did to lose that game, uh, incredibly embarrassing. That is, I don't care what Dan Mullen says, that is their second loss of the season that a high degree of likelihood knocks them out of the playoff. Uh, If they beat Alabama in a close game, uh, I think Alabama still gets in, but I don't think Florida would. And uh, that's in, in, there's other factors involved there, but that that's probably what I do right now. This is Florida's eighth straight game and it's Alabama's fifth straight game. This is eight of 11. So an 11, this of this game will be 11 for both teams. Eight of 11 consecutive for Alabama. That's five out of 11 uh, consecutive. That is a big difference. That eight is a number that stands out to me and, and, and will for a while. If we remember back in time, we nearly lost in 2009. We nearly lost. Alabama nearly lost to Tennessee uh, the eighth game of the season. And that's the Mount Cody block 
uh, Lane Kiffin, the Tennessee uh, head coach. That's a game that Alabama had every right to lose were not a couple of an ex- a couple of exceptional special teams plays. And there's something about that, you know, you, six, seven, that eighth game. There's it's just the mind can't will itself over uh, the beat down that the body has taken. And so I do think it, there's materiality to uh, Florida uh, playing their eighth game. They're going to come out with energy. They're going to come out excitement. They're going to come out. They may even have a lead uh, at some point in the game. But when you get into the deep recesses of the third quarter and into the fourth, they're going to have a level of exhaustion, a level of depletion that Alabama will not. Uh, and so factor that into the thought process and watch for it because I think it's real and I think uh, I think it will happen. How will all of that sort of in mind, how will Florida react when they get punched in the nose? Both teams will get punched in the nose in this game. It's, it's a championship game in the SEC. Both teams will get punched in the nose. Florida is, they were not picked to win the East. They were not picked to be there. There's been some unravel this weekend. And so at what point do they say eight games in, having achieved more than what was expected, at what point do they say no moss? At what point might they say we've accomplished more than we thought we could accomplish? I'm done. Versus an Alabama team less depleted and their biggest goals, the biggest goals that they set for themselves last January, last December, they still have an opportunity uh, for those goals to, to come f- to fruition. And so if they get punched in the nose, I don't think Florida may stop and think like, do I want to keep doing this? Alabama will say, yes, I have already committed to keep doing this. And, uh, and I think, I think again, sort of later in the game, second half, it's a, if it's a two and fro game, uh, I think that, I think that manifests. I think, I think we see that sort of come to bear. Uh, so keep keep an eye on that. Uh, you know, if we start looking at stats, Florida's run game and Florida's defense, to, for my money, they remain a little uh, suspect. Uh, scoring defense, you talk about yardage, you can talk about third down conversion, you talk about a lot about it, you know, passing and rushing. At the end of the game, at the end of the day, it's scoring. Mullen likes to think it's yards uh, according to his halftime, but at the end of the day, it's scoring. And uh, uh, Florida is 48th ranked in scoring defense. Alabama's 11th. About a 10-point uh, differential, 10.5-point uh, differential there. Rushing offense for Florida is ranked number 100, and Alabama is not outstanding, but it's 40. It's ranked 40th, and I would venture that Najee is the best running back in the country. So call it the distribution, but there's a talent, there's a weapon there that I don't think Florida does. So I think there's a couple of dimensions that Alabama has that Florida doesn't have. I think Florida is a very, very good team. I think Alabama is potentially a great team. And I think that differential comes to bear. Again, I think both teams punch each other in the mouth. I think there's some to and fro early, uh, but I'm looking at a 38 to 24 style ball game. Trask, if he's on and the tight end, Kyle Pitts, uh, if he plays, have no reason to think that he wouldn't. Uh, they they will give Alabama some, some trouble, but uh, I think there's a solution. And I don't know that there's a, uh, call it a diversity of offensive firepower that uh, Florida has much in the same way that, that Alabama does. So uh, if it, if it becomes a shooting match, I don't think Florida can, can hang with them, but uh, I think it's probably a slower style game, a slower pace game. 
a little more feeling each other out. It's a championship game. It's not unusual in those types of circumstances. So I'm predicting a 38-24 to 24 style ball game. And with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. You know what to do. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.